Okay, we are now recording. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Sam Peroni, and he comes to us from Arkansas, and he's publishing a book on December 21st, 2021. Title of the book is Brainstorm, an investigation of the mysterious death of film star Natalie Wood. And again, it's being published very soon. Today is the 9th of December, so in two weeks, it'll be out Kindle, hardcover, and an audio version. And Mr. Peroni, uh, he also has a website. His website is nataliewoodbrainstorm.com. So you can see kind of his background and some of the information. He, after leaving the Department of Justice to establish his own law firm, Sam Peroni was called back to serve as a Department of Justice special prosecutor in the first RICO case prosecuted in Arkansas titled United States v. Allison. He's managed his own firm, the Peroni Law Firm, for 29 years before he retired in 2008. His emphasis was on white-collar criminal defense, and his success earned him many accolades, including a listing in the Best Lawyers in America Criminal Law by Nife and Smith Harvard Law School from 1986 until his retirement. Uh, Sam has a little bit of a hearing issue, so there might be a delay in when I'm talking and when he responds. So he's using uh, kind of Skype to get to subtitles. So he'll be reading those subtitles and talking back to me. But I read through this book today, Brainstorm, and you can see the meticulousness of his research and his very legal, his, the legal acumen behind his approach to this book, talking about the mysterious death of Natalie Wood. But he can talk more about that. So Sam Peroni, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. I uh, I really appreciate being here today. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you agreed to the interview. For people who may not have heard you, is there some additional background information you would like to uh, talk about before we get into the information in this book, Brainstorm? Well, I think uh, one of the most important things to uh, an investigation like this uh, is the fact that I have... Um, substantial, uh, maybe hundred, maybe not only in the hundreds, maybe in the thousands of criminal cases that I've investigated uh, over the last uh, 49 years, I think it is now. And, uh, you know, that experience um, allows me to look at things, uh, photographs, documents, and things like that in a much different light because I can look at something and get a clue out of it that maybe someone else who's never investigated a criminal case would see. And I think that's what happened uh, uh, in connection with, uh, with one of the criminal investigations conducted by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. They, they just really didn't have enough experience um, nor were they dedicated into really digging into it and finding the evidence that they needed. And can you talk about the original circumstances, the believed circumstances at the time of Natalie Wood's disappearance and death? Uh, yes, you mean like uh, kind of summarize uh, what happened? Please, I mean, just what the understanding was in 81. I know there were two investigations, the 81 original investigation, and then there was a follow-up, I think, in 20. I can you talk about that original and what the police thought and the circumstances, and then we can get into what you've uncovered. 
Right. Well, um, and this is all in my book about what I'm going to tell you uh, in a lot more detail, of course. But in 1981, when Natalie Wood's body was found on November the 29th, 1981, um, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department uh, was uh, fairly immediately on the scene. Uh, there was a deputy sheriff that that um, was uh, assigned to Avalon, and he traveled down to the isthmus, the narrow part of Catalina Island, if people understand Catalina Island, where the yacht was uh, uh, moored for for the evening, Saturday evening. He traveled down there, and he conducted um, really a very good investigation for a deputy sheriff at that point in time and prepared a report. Uh, it's about uh, 10 pages long, handwritten, uh, that really I was very complimentary of in my book. And then the Los Angeles County uh, uh, detectives arrived. And after that, uh, uh, the so-called investigation uh, turned into basically, we need to shut this down as quickly as we can. And so they declared it an accident. Uh, the final report, it's dated uh, December the 11th, but in truth and in fact, they declared this to be an, uh, an accident within 24 hours of Natalie Wood's death. Um, I have, in my, in my book, I explain what I think happened. Right. But, Let's not get to that yet, because uh, there's been a lot of cloudy information around this. Oh case and original people who don't know Catalina it's almost like two islands are very close to each other and in between that is a narrow bit of land they call the isthmus and that's where she was with Robert Wagner uh Christopher Walken and another guy who was the ship captain uh I think Darwin yeah, was his name a fellow by the name of uh, uh Deverne um, and Dennis Deverne and uh, he was the boat captain uh, well, and now let's skip forward here to 2011. In 2011, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department announced with great fanfare that they were going to reopen uh, the investigation of Natalie Wood. Uh, and uh, then uh, that's now dragged on for 10 years. Uh, so that's where we are with things as far as the, and, and in that official investigation, the, they, the last word we heard from them, they concluded by saying that Robert Wagner was a person of interest. Gotcha. So he, Robert Wagner's a person of interest. And in the original case, for your investigation, you had to actually sue the, I think, the Los Angeles County to get records. Is that correct? Yes, I sued the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department uh, twice. Uh, the uh, Los Angeles uh, County Board of Commissioners once, and the Los Angeles uh, County Coroner's Office once. And what did those uh, lawsuits uncover? Well, uh, I think uh, I uncovered a treasure trove of clues and information that answered uh, 
a lot of questions uh, that people have had over the years. And, and, and you, sorry to interrupt, but you include a lot of the paperwork and a lot of the autopsy reports and things like that that the public has never seen, right? Yes, you know, people have seen what they think is the full autopsy report, but uh, but the, in truth and in fact, they haven't seen the full autopsy report. I got the full autopsy report, which also included uh, handwritten notes of the uh, pathologists as they were performing the autopsy and some other uh, documents uh, that were uh, reports of various uh, tests that were conducted, including a microscopic analysis of some skin tissue and uh, also uh, uh, toxicology reports um, uh, that were initially made and then converted into a report that is dated in March, which is, which is, which is a, also a point in the book. And I kind of think I figured out exactly why it was dated in March. Uh, but and we who, had that. Please continue. Please continue. Yeah, we, we have that. And uh, I also uncovered a report by a consultant that Dr. Noguchi uh, sent out to the site the actual day of the, uh, uh, um, that Natalie was found to conduct an investigation of the dinghy that uh, was associated with the yacht and also the yacht itself. And he prepared a three-page report, which is in the book, that no one that was sealed up in an envelope, put in the file, labeled confidential, and wasn't open for 35 years until the judge ordered them to open it up in one of the lawsuits that I filed. That, that report's in the book, and it's a very telling report. There's, some, there's a lot of details in it that really help understand, I think, um, what happened out there that night. And who was Thomas Noguchi, and why is he important? Uh, Dr. Thomas Noguchi was the uh, chief pathologist in the uh, official Los Angeles County uh, coroner uh, and uh, medical, medical examiner in 1981. And he, he was dubbed the coroner of the stars back then because he performed several autopsies of very famous people. And after he performed the autopsy, he'd hold press conferences and he loved to make sensational statements, which uh, created a lot of controversy and, and uh, uh, angered uh, some people uh, eventually down the line, including Natalie Wood's death. Right, so he did Marilyn Monroe, Robert F. Kennedy, among many others. So very much a uh, well-known kind of figure in Los Angeles, Los Angeles right. criminology. And you, in your investigation, you actually do talk to a lot of experts, criminal experts, uh, forensics experts, and people about uh, water exposure yes. and things like that. Can you talk about the steps you took in your investigation? Because it was very meticulous. Yeah, yes. Uh, yes, I actually talked to the foremost expert on hypothermia in this country. His name is uh, Robert Pozos, Dr. Robert Pozos. And... Uh, 
Dr. Pozos uh, reviewed the records and then answered a lot of questions for me about exactly what hypothermia would do to someone uh, who was in the ocean uh, uh, with the temperature of the water that, that surrounded the yacht, uh, what it would do to someone in various degrees, like for instance, what it would do to somebody's digestion, what it would do to uh, someone's ability to speak, what it would do to, to someone's ability to, to splash their arms or kick their feet. And, and in particular, how long somebody could live uh, in water as cold as it was uh, before they perished. Um, of course, Natalie didn't die of hypothermia, but, but I have no doubt that by the time she passed away, she was suffering from uh, the effects of hypothermia, which would have effect would have effect on the autopsy and would have effect on other um, items in the case. And you talk, you went to Rhode Island and talked to a forensics person about the possibility of drugs or some substances being involved, correct? Yeah, I talked to the chief of pathology uh, and the uh, Rhode Island state uh, coroner and uh, medical examiner about Natalie Wood's case, and she she was very, very helpful to me. She examined the complete autopsy report and the supplemental autopsy report. And she gave me some opinions and some ideas on some very substantial things that had never been pointed out before. Um, and I followed up with those uh, with, a, um, with uh, an expert in uh, pharmacology and, uh, and did some other research on my own to identify uh, items in Natalie's system that would show um, or help confirm the time of death, which in investigation is one of the key components. Right, very important time of death. And she was also found in kind of a strange manner. She, uh, can you tell the story about the skiff and how she was found? Because she was wearing clothes you wouldn't associate with somebody wanting, you know, being in water, right? Yes. Uh, all right. There was a, um, a 13 foot Zodiac dinghy that was used by the Wagners to transport themselves from the yacht to the various piers. Uh, because most of the time they were moored on the outside mooring line, probably to give them more privacy. And so in order to get to the shore where they could go shopping, if they were in Avalon, for instance, or, or in the Isthmus, whether they could go to Doug's uh, Harbor Reef and Saloon, um, they got in the dinghy and motored to, to the pier. Um, the, uh, let's see how I can summarize this in, in a, a short um, way. The evening that Natalie Wood perished, the dinghy disappeared along with Natalie. The initial claim by Robert Wagner and the boat captain was they thought Natalie had gone back to the bar. And this was about uh, 1.30 in the morning when they say this happened. Between 1 and 1.30. Um, 
when the dinghy was found, the oars were up, the ignition key was off, and it appeared it had never been started. So in essence, it floated from the yacht to the place where they recovered it, which was over a mile away. Uh, Natalie's body was located fairly close to the dinghy. Uh, it was off the shore at a place called Blue Cavern Point, uh, probably about uh, 200 yards, according to the gentleman who found her. His name was Doug Bombard, um, which if you look at the yacht, uh, a mile over a mile away and you look at where the dinghy was found and you look at the, where the body was found, they were found relatively very sh close together. Um, that has brought a lot brought about a lot of speculation as to how Natalie's body got that way. But I show in my book uh, exactly how how it happened that both the dinghy and Natalie ended up over there near the Cavern Point. But she was wearing socks and like a red down jacket, like a full jacket too, right? Yes, uh, this is all she was wearing. She was wearing a red down jacket, which um, I believe was unzipped when her body was found, although there is uh, conflicting statements in that regard. She was wearing a, a pair of socks uh, that were that had been identified as Argyle type socks, but uh, I'm not sure that's exactly true. But they probably were some type of wool sock. Uh, no underwear, and what the uh, coroner's first responder told me was a a nightshirt, not a nightgown but a night shirt, which she believed was made out of cotton. Uh, just basically a, a long t-shirt, for lack of a better way to put it. And she had some jewelry on. Not, not her full complement of jewelry, but some jewelry was still on her body, including a waist chain. Um, and that was it. That was all she was wearing, which of course had tremendous significance uh, in relationship to hypothermia. Um, right, right. She basically was naked, uh, except for the down jacket. Right, and you sent people out. There were actually some people during your investigation that had been there on Catalina in 1981, right? There were people that were still on the island. Yes, there's, there's one. Well, one gentleman is still on the island. Uh, but I tracked down two other gentlemen uh, who were who were working that night? One is the sole shore shoreboat operator, and uh, the other one who was basically uh, the shoreboat. I mean the uh, patrolman for that evening, like the security patrolman. Uh, those two gentlemen were on duty, as far as they uh, know, and told me there was nobody else on duty. But then, and then there was a uh, a maintenance man, a troubleshooter, for lack of a better word. And I located all three of those and talked with all three of those and got accurate statements from them this time, which they've been quoted inaccurately over the years. 
and I got accurate statements this time. And there's a lot of inaccuracies. Even the original investigation, I think you said, was very abbreviated. I think they only talked to Robert Wagner for six minutes, right? Yes, they talked to Robert Wagner when when they used the sheriff's helicopter to transport uh, Christopher Walken and Robert Wagner to uh, uh, the uh, Aero Bureau there in Long Beach. And the detectives talked to him for six minutes. Right, and same thing with Walken. So they let them leave the scene of what happened, right? Yes, they, they let Walken leave too, but I think they talk, actually talked to Walken a little longer than they did Wagner. Uh, they said they let Wagner go because he was upset, which uh, I comment uh, on extensively in, in my book. Uh, but they, they, I think they probably talked to Walken for maybe 10 or 15 minutes before they let him go. And the relationship between Walken and Natalie Wood and the title of your book all turned together, right? Can you talk about those relationships? Uh, yes, uh, I think most people that understand uh, the circumstances surrounding Natalie's death probably think that the title of my book, Brainstorm, um, uh, solely uh, relates to her last movie that she was making, where they actually uh, filmed on location in North Carolina for, uh, I think it was uh, about six or seven weeks. Um, and then they uh, concluded in Los Angeles, where they tried to conclude, but Natalie passed away before the movie was finished. But by the title of my book also relates to the brainstorm I had to investigate her death in the first place. <laughs> so uh, it has a double meaning. Right, and she was in the movie with Walken, too, so that was kind of the relationship. And there was a lot of interpersonal things going on. And even her relationship with Robert Wagner was curious. Can you tell the audience about that? Yes, that, that, was, that was, has been part of the scenario that people have known about since Natalie's death. And that was that um, as they were, they were filming on location in North Carolina, about I'd say about three to four weeks into the shooting, uh, there were rumors in Hollywood that uh, Natalie was having an affair with Christopher Walken. And apparently the rumors were, were so um, serious in Robert Wagner's mind that he actually made a trip out to North Carolina basically to check up on them. So he was, he was paranoid about their relationship and he, but their Natalie's and Robert Wagner's was weird because they were married. She caught him with a man, got divorced. They got divorced, and then they had a relationship, and then they got back together, right? Yes, uh, that was in their first marriage. That's that's basically how their first marriage ended, where uh, uh, Natalie caught uh, Robert Wagner with another man. Um, they divorced, and uh, then they remarried, and. Uh, in 1972, and uh, but Robert Wagner, there there is substantial evidence that Robert Wagner, after uh, the divorce, where she began seeing uh, Warren Beatty, uh, Robert Wagner had uh, a profound uh, jealousy of Natalie's uh, co-stars, 
if they were male. Uh, and uh, uh, that persisted. So he was jealous, but I think you prove in your book he was had an earlier relationship with Jill St. John than was commonly understood, right? Well, people are going to have to judge for themselves okay. about Okay. But I think I think I've I've uh, got substantial in, uh, uh, information in there, uh, facts that uh, would lead a reasonable person to believe that Robert Wagner had a relationship with uh, Jill St. John. Um, well, yeah. even before married Natalie the second oh, wow. time. Okay. And there yes. was also, uh, and you mentioned kind of some of the big three big time players in Hollywood at that time. One of them was involved uh, around this case, right? So you mentioned Korchak, Wasserman, and Ziffern, who was associated or lawyer associated or friends with Robert Wagner, right? Yes, those those three gentlemen, uh, Sidney Korshak, who who was who was uh, without a doubt the mob lawyer in Los Angeles, um, uh, Lou Wasserman, uh, who was um, connected uh, with the mobbed up um, uh, Hollywood agency. Uh, out of Chicago, and um, Mr. Ziffrin, uh, who was probably one of the most prominent lawyers in, in all of California. Um, the man was so prominent that he was actually um, the chairman or, or president, whatever they, they uh, titled him, uh, of the Olympics, the Los Angeles Olympics, when they were when they took like right, California. Yeah, he was he was a very very uh, uh, important and uh, connected lawyer in town. Of course, all three of them were very very connected, and uh, I think it goes. I think there would be no doubt about it uh, that uh, if you said if you had those three gentlemen in your corner, uh, what could you get done? And the answer would be anything you wanted done. Right. Uh, so uh, all three of those gentlemen were closely associated with the Wagners, uh, and Sidney Korshak was even more associated with Jill St. John because Jill St. John had a longstanding um, affair with Sidney Korshak, uh, which was really, I mean, it was open and notorious. It wasn't anything that anybody was trying to hide, as far as I can see. Um, and Lou Wasserman uh, basically was the one that that pushed Robert Wagner into television, as opposed to movies. Uh, and um, Ziffrin had been Natalie's lawyer for years, and then became Robert Wagner's lawyer. And Robert but, Wagner was more successful in TV than on film, correct? Or had bigger? Uh, yes, he, he was much more successful in TV than in what is in the movies. I think that always bothered him, uh, even though he, he got to be uh, what one person claimed, uh, the, the, uh, I think they called him the Clark Gable of TV, uh, something like that. I mean, he, he, was, very, he was very well known, and, and uh, he, he had a really good show, Heart to Heart, that a lot of people watched and still watched it today. I mean, the reruns just keep going and going if, if anybody wants to watch it for a while. 
Um, so yeah, uh, but there was one other person that I need to mention right now who was also part of this uh, uh, event that occurred when Natalie passed away. And I think that's Frank Sinatra. Um, Frank Sinatra was a very powerful person in, in uh, Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, you could probably call Frank the Don of Los Angeles back at that time. Uh, and, uh, you know, Frank had a lot of connections too, including a serious, um, let's put it this way, an ultra serious relationship with the Los Angeles County Sheriff at the time, Peter Pitches, who was, of course, the head man in charge of Natalie Wood's alleged investigation in 1981. Right, very interesting. And just by the way, those three guys you mentioned too had political and law enforcement ties as well, right? Like they weren't just in the Hollywood business. Oh yeah, absolutely. They, they had connections with every law enforcement officer in the state of California, maybe more. Yeah, and it hasn't really changed to this day. Maybe different players, but I think that that's kind of stuff still actually goes on. But so you see this connection between Sinatra, who's always played down his mob connections, right? And uh, he's he's been around. He was in there in Hollywood for decades, right? Just well, if anybody decades. doubts uh, Frank Sinatra's connection with the mob. Uh, after they finish my book, they need to read a, a book by Kitty Kelly, uh, who was pub uh, that was published in 1983, and it's called My Way, The Unauthorized Biography of Frank Sinatra. Um, it was an outstanding book, it really opened my eyes about that guy. Um, right, so he was a little bit more... It's not what he pretended to be uh, the decade or so after his, before his death. Right, so you have this very heady cast of characters and just really incredible that. Can you go into what you think the 1981 or the most recent query or investigation into her death, the 2011 so-called investigation and what your thoughts are about that? Um. Okay, let's see if I understand the question you're asking me. Well, let's go so, over. So we kind of got the cast of characters, the people who are involved. You've had that initial investigation, which there's a lot right. of things to ask about. I mean, there's a lot of problems right. there. There's supposedly a new investigation in 2011, but no, nothing's happened out of that either too, right? And did they really open up or, or discover anything new in that investigation? Well, you know, I hate to give away it, everything. It then don't, but, don't but, give no, it. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking with you. Don't do it. <laughs> but because I want people to read this, but in a capsule form, let's take the 1981 investigation. Um, I think when people read my book, they're going to be absolutely convinced that the 1981 investigation was covered up, was a cover up that they, they did really nothing to look into what they should have looked into, and that was an unexplained death with three suspects on the yacht. For the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department in 2011 to say they didn't have any suspects, including Robert Wagner, 
uh, is a farce because anybody that knows anything about investigating homicide cases knows that when you go to the scene of an unexplained death, when you, when you go there, anyone that's had any connection with that person within the last month, maybe, is a suspect. You, ha you have to assume that there's a homicide until you eliminate the suspects. When you do that, if you eliminate the suspects, then you can say it was an accident. But these investigators, these detectives, they were blabbering to the news within 24 hours that it was an accident. Right. They didn't look at anything, and anything that was incriminating, they just turned their heads from. And I believe it was intentional. When people read my book, they can see why I believe it was intentional. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, just the fact that there was no proper interrogation of these guys uh, was, is very telling, and that they got away from the island. like. They never walked them through the events. It just was a, it was an investigation that I think in other jurisdictions would be critiqued and there'd be real problems, but that never really happened. I mean, and the thing about your book is you really go into detail and you're very, like I use the word meticulous, but uh, people can see the steps by which you build to your conclusion. Where's the best place to get, the book isn't out for another two weeks, but where's the best place to get Brainstorm an investigation of the mysterious death of film star Natalie Wood. All right. Uh, the best place to go to find a hardback book would be to go to Amazon, um, Kindle, uh, Barnes & Noble, um, and it's even going to be an audio book, so people can, can go to the appropriate sites there. If you want a paperback book, you can go to my website, which is www.nataliewoodbrainstorm.com. And that's where you can purchase a paperback. But they will not be shipped to you until around, on or after, I mean, not on or after, probably at or after December the 21st. Gotcha. So you can get the Kindle when it comes out. There's going to be an audio and your website, again, is nataliewoodbrainstorm.com. There's a lot more in here. There's problems with the autopsy. There are bruises that aren't explained. I mean, it's really something else that uh, a lot of this information hasn't been uncovered till now to your book. So I give kudos to you for uh, writing that. And uh, I wish you the back. I think it'll be a real success. So uh, thanks so well, much for coming on the show. And people can, if they want to reach out to you too, Sam, they can do it through your website, right? Uh, yes. The, on the website, there's a, an email address, and if they'll email me, I promise that I'll personally get back to them, uh, unless I'm, you know, overrun with emails, but oh, see. Uh, I'll personally get back with anybody that emails me, and I, I want to say one other thing in conclusion. You, you mentioned meticulous a couple of times. When I was practicing law, that's the only way I knew how to be successful, was to be meticulous. And I approached this book just like I was investigating a murder case. And in order to do that, particularly if it's a circumstantial evidence murder case, that is a murder case where you don't have a confession, but you have a prime suspect, then you have to be meticulous. Because 
it's the circumstances you're trying to get. So you try to gather up as much of the circumstances you have in order to prove your case. And the more meticulous you are, the more circumstances you dig up. There you go. And I mean, you can tell your experience in the criminal laws there. You've covered all those bases and things like that. An excellent book. Very well done out in two weeks. Again, the title of the book is Brainstorm, an investigation of the mysterious death of film star Natalie Wood. It's by Sam Peroni, last name spelled P-E-R-R-O-N-I. And his, his website where you can reach out to him is NatalieWoodBrainstorm.com, all one word. Sam, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, William. All right, stay there. I think I just quit the recording right there.